This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Moose Rokwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm a bit chilly, Moose. A bit chilly. Spiritually or actually? Oh, I hadn't thought about that, but probably. Let's yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, will, I am now, thanks. Drawing straight for the existential <laughs> questions. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, okay, I genuinely wasn't prepared for that and it's made me a little bit kind of... Oh. Reflective. Maybe. Oh, and maybe, oh. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's a spiritual chill. Yeah, you good? I am good. I hope that our listeners are good. Um, yeah, or me as too. Good as, as they can be. As good as they can be. Yeah. Um. Everyone loves admin, so we're going to do some admin very quick. Let's do it. Uh, if you do like what we do, a rating and review would be lovely. Write your house this week. You and Carl are going to be on Tuesday, and I think you and I are going to do Friday. It's going to be interesting. Fancy seeing you here. I'm no. like, oh, do you come here often? You're going to chat me up on my own podcast. It's my podcast. I do what I want on my podcast. Yeah, but it's also my podcast. That's true. That's true. It's your podcast. It's our podcast. It's our it? podcast. Oh, you've come in. You've come in like a bit. A bit. <laughs> I have. Do you know what it is? I've just had my breakfast and I'm really happy. <laughs> <laughs> you're hearing the endorphins. So, so you've just <laughs> eaten your breakfast and you're really happy, so you want to bring everyone else down. I get it, I get it. Right, fine. All right. Anyway, um, today we're going to focus on two big games from the weekend. We're going to focus on El Clasico mm. and we're going yep. to talk about the Manchester derby. Right. We'll fill in some gaps in between, but that, that's where our focus is going to be today. So yeah, I reckon we'll get into it. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. 
And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, man. El Clasico. Wow, A yes. catfish result. Some catfish performances. That is a great description of it. Do you remember when you used to, we used to call Everton Arsenal El Catfish Show? Yes. <laughs> Maybe the actual Clasico could be El Catfish Show now. Very much so. I mean, how did you see the game? I actually thought Barcelona were really good in the first half. Yes. Maybe not really good. Maybe that's a little bit of an open statement because I think they were aided quite a lot by Real Madrid who, this felt weirdly, and maybe this, because you know, if there's the whole thing about everyone goes out later in Spain, right? Mm. So actually yes. maybe a 3.30 kickoff or whatever it was, uh, 4.30 local time. Maybe that's the equivalent of a 12.30 lunchtime kickoff in England. Yes. So everyone still wasn't really getting into it. It just feels weird having a Classico so early. I don't, I don't like, I don't like, I don't early, like early Classicos. I, don't like I like Me neither. Sunday night, under the lights. Absolutely. But anyway, yeah, it felt like, you know how some teams just really struggle to kind of w- wake up in the early kickoffs in, in the Premier League? Mm. Very much felt like that to me in the first half of Real Madrid. Just poor performances and quite sloppy, like... Really? I thought Bellingham overall... <laughs> I mean, just wasn't a weird... He wasn't man of the match. I, th- I think the thing is, when you score two goals to win the Clasico, it, uh, I saw a tweet, forgive me, I can't remember who wrote it, but it said that that's just gone from a zero out of 10 performance to a 10 out of 10 performance. Because zero is harsh, but he yeah, wasn't having fair. a good game. He was, and, and I actually think his reactions to both goals, especially the winner, you could tell his frustration at his own performance. I thought his first, I thought his first goal, you saw huge frustration. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Just in the way he celebrated it. And yeah, you could tell it, it was a bit like, I haven't really done anything. That's the first no. thing I've really done. Like you look at his like duels contested and stuff like that. He didn't, he wasn't really like winning any duels. Passing was fine, but. Can we say that? You can just say for a moment very quickly. Gavi is anchoring Barcelona's midfield at the age of 19 and he is spectacular. Can we actually just, this man has played wide as, as a wide forward. Mm. He's played as a false nine. Mm-hmm. He's played as a six. He's played as an eight. He is absolutely spectacular and in this game he was extraordinary I just felt like this game just to sort of quickly interrupt you before I let you continue um, this game felt like you know you see a clickbait article on social media and you click it and actually the article's far better argued than the actual the clickbait headline mm. this felt like that this felt like if you look if you look at this game you're right in terms of the catfish around a 2-1 Bellingham and you know, Bellingham twice and Barcelona you get the impression that he was everywhere you get the impression that he was everything everywhere all at once Mm. But, but he wasn't. This result is a problem from Real Madrid. I'm intrigued why you think that. Okay, so they need a hell of a lot. Neither Vinicius nor Rodrigo are volume goal scorers. There's a big thing in Spain at the moment. Oh, they're struggling for form. They've never been volume goal scorers. It's just that they've never been relied on to this extent before. So it's not so much of a problem. Like Vinicius facilitates brilliant goal scorers, right? The man hasn't scored more than about 10 a season. Like that's the best case for him. Rodrigo's not a volume goal scorer. They're expecting things from Real Madrid's forwards that they haven't produced before. Now, the thing about Bellingham is people get wise and keep defending him as a team. Those gaps will not always be there for him and it won't be his fault because he'll, his scoring will revert to the mean at some point, right? He might end up as like a one and two goal scorer, which would be ridiculous anyway. <laughs> Frankly, But the yeah, production, 
but the, but the production from other areas of Real Madrid, real problem. Here, here's the thing about Real Madrid, a problem for them too. Tony Cruz, to his performance, there was a lot of talk about him not celebrating Bellingham's goal when it went in. Honestly, I think that's because he was actually frustrated with his own performance. Because- I also have another theory about this. I just think it's, I think, I think Kroos is almost kind of like, yeah, you're that good. You're that good. And he's you know, also like, quite sanguine. You know, like yeah, he's the, quite sanguine. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Quite a, he's quite a plastic guy anyway, I think. But also in terms of his performance, like he was bad from the opening minutes. Mm. Slow to, um, no, he's never been one to press, but he was slow to being turned, right? He was slow to the challenges, late challenges, poor passing, poor positioning. Almost allowed Fermin Lopez to score. This is all in the first half. The first 15 mm. minutes, he made more mistakes than the first 15 minutes I've seen him make an entire uh, yeah. matches. I, I, think he's, I think he was caught on the ball a little bit, but I, I disagree with his passing. I think his passing was fine. I mean, it was, I don't it, think it was, it was necessarily like um, massively proactive, but he, you know, he completed 50 of his 52 passes. That's, yeah, know, but there's a problem with this. Yeah, yeah, but it's pretty good. Right, right, right. But the type of passing, like I know that he plays a certain way and, it's almost like withdrawn left back position. Mm. But there was a thing where when they brought Modric on, it was about short, quick passes is what was needed in this game. So it's not so much his fault. He was brought on to do long, slow, switch the play, and that's fine. But against a certain type of team that works, but I think that Ancelotti underestimated the quality of Barcelona's press, to be honest. Um, we've seen Real Madrid play really well in that reactive style, and the one of Champions League doing that. But this was a game where you look, it's a huge match and the traditional things you rely upon. And actually David Alaba's, he struggled actually in big games before this. We see again that these things they rely on traditionally Madrid aren't quite getting the job done. Now they win this game against Barcelona, but the reason this could be a problem for them is I hope they don't draw the, for their sake, I hope they don't draw the wrong conclusion from the right result. Ah, uh, see, I, I, yeah, I mean, carry on, carry on, because I've got some thoughts. I think they need to strengthen. I think they need to strengthen well, yeah, in attack. Probably, I mean, they in, absolutely need to strengthen, yeah. Right, but I worry they, I worry for their sake, they'll think, oh, you know, we can just keep doing this, but it's not sustainable, Ryan. No, no, I don't think, I don't think anyone there thinks it is, though. I think it's so clear, it's so glaringly obvious that um, this side needs a number nine and probably another wide forward. It also needs left back, like, Oh, really? Big time. M- Mendy, is, Mendy is gone. But he's been gone for a while. I think a left back is really, really important. The reason I have a little bit of sympathy for Tony Kroos is because I think that entire Real Madrid left-hand side just didn't match up very well against Cancelo and mm. Araujo. Like, they just didn't do it. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Barcelona had the chances in that first half. They, they, had, they could have done better with a couple of chances to extend the lead. And I think if they had... I can't really see Real Madrid getting back into that because it was a pretty much, a, it was basically like a bit of a vibes performance of Real Madrid, but this is just what they are like, yeah. you know, they are the great undead club, right? Yeah. They are just, yeah. they, <laughs> right they will, undead, yeah. they're just, they will kind of creep along. Chavi uh, said it, Chavi uh, said uh, it. An alarmingly slow, yeah, at an alarmingly slow rate. And then all of a sudden they've won the Champions League and you're like, how? Yeah. How yeah. have they done this? Um, I think this is more, this is more of a, um, this is more symbolic of where I think La Liga is at at the moment mm. because there isn't really a truly outstanding club in the league at the moment. No. Or an outstanding team in the league, I should say. It was an enjoyable Clasico, but it wasn't a Clasico filled with super high quality. No, it was not classic. By that, I mean, I don't, th- I think Carlo Ancelotti is way too smart and way too experienced to draw a, uh, 
an incorrect or an inaccurate conclusion from that performance. You saw it when Bellingham scored the goal. Mm. Um, his celebration was very much, you know, typical Carlo kind of muted. He knew that they'd, they'd had a tricky game at that point. Yep. Um, I think that the fact he'd started to make changes at that point, he brought um, Camavinga on at left back. I think maybe, you know, it's a bit of a kind of like, all right, I've changed it. We've got a response. But um, those changes were really good, by the way. They were. Um, yeah. Let's maybe kind of go back a little bit because Gundogan opened the score in super early. First goal for Barcelona in the Clasico. Uh, and it kind of looked like Barcelona were going to get a couple more before half time. They walked through that, mid- that, that midfield. That was a bit worrying. I mean, there was a ricochet, but the way they came, they broke through was worrying. Yeah, but this, seemed, this happened like a couple of times where it just felt like. You know, we always talk about that Julian Alvarez goal in the World Cup where it just felt like the pitch just lent, you know, tilted with, a little yeah, bit. Down with, he was yeah, just yeah, going yeah. downhill. There were a couple of times where it kind of felt like, what are Real Madrid doing here? They're just kind of getting bowled over a bit too easily. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then getting to halftime at 1-0, allowing Ancelotti to make some changes early on in the second half. Um, and then the thing about the Bellingham goal, the Bellingham's equaliser, did you notice what happened just before it? Oh, what, Modric uh, in and around and then him, him regaining it? No, Chumaini has a strike from way out and Bellingham looks at him, Belling, oh, Bellingham right, okay. glares at him and it's from about the same distance. That's interesting. Two minutes later, he gets the ball, turns, <laughs> smashes it in the corner. And actually, I think Chastagen, he does this thing that he, 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 the save that he'd made a couple of minutes before for mm. the other post, where he'd yeah. kind of like pushed it around the post with his left hand. He tried to do the same thing on the Top Bellingham hand. thing. And actually yes. what he, he tried to like just push it around the post, whereas actually he needed to just, I think, palm it right. out. You because he like, actually, it was like well Edison's, within his reach. Edison's save in the, in the derby. Everyone was talking about the, 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 the strong left yes. hand that he put up. Kind of like that, as opposed to like helping it around, because it had too much pace on it to be helped around the post. And he had but, it within his reach, actually. He could have saved it. Yeah. yeah. But can we just say it's, it made an unbelievable sound? Because the way that he struck it, and then the, the way that it hit the back of the net, and it was just like... Actually, you know, it's funny because we talk about, I talk about him resembling a different great every week. And you talk about so the Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo ability to, to even yeah. in quiet games to do that, to unleash yeah. like that. And that was almost an element of that because Gavi, you talk about patrolling Bellingham. He, he moved Bellingham everywhere he wanted him. Like he, he did this incredible thing of like cutting off all the passing lanes for Bellingham, whether Bellingham was receiving the ball or passing it. So Gavi was always in his like line of vision where he mm-hmm. wanted to make the killer pass. He couldn't make it. So he ended up kind of shuffling the ball around and not cutting because he couldn't, it wasn't so easy to break lines. But this, this late performance here in terms of these two goals, coming away, taking the headlines, despite having a subpar performance, is one of the most Cristiano Ronaldo things he could have done in a game like this. That's true. You know? Um, Very true. And it was funny watching Modric because Modric loves this. Modric loves a messy victory. Modric does not care at all. Um, oh, yeah. Modric is the most Gavi player <laughs> at Real Madrid in terms of, oh, he won. It was this elegant performance. Wonderful. Oh, it was messy as hell. And I've scuffed my knees um, and I've cut my knuckles. But wasn't it a delight? And like, it was just perfect. He's like the was- slightly extra assassin in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. It's like, dude, you could have just like, yeah. you could have kept this really clean and quiet and actually he just, this like, no, where's the fun in that kind of thing? You know, it's, I know it's got a bit bleak. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit <laughs> Sorry. It was, it was absolutely perfect that Modric turned up with the deflection into Bellingham's path. I don't think it was a deliberate bounce pass from Modric. I know he's amazing, but I'm not sure he's quite that good, but 
the deflection into um, Bellingham's path for the winner. Mm. It was really fitting. He was there. And just looking at the kind of the match winners, Real Madrid's closers, they are very much Bellingham, Modric, Camavinga. If you look at the kind of the three players that really... That need to be on the pitch for them to win games. Yeah, that can just raise that level to a point I think Vinicius was there for a bit, but I think he's... He's struggling. He is a little bit. But I think he's also just... I think he's... I think he's missing someone like a Benzema. A focal, a focal point. Yeah. yeah, he's missing a focal point. He's, he's, he's struggling to learn how to play. I mean, he's not struggling to learn. I think he's just struggling to... Um, There's no one to connect with him. When he breaks by himself, like this, the thing about mm. Vinicius is he's so good that he can carry the ball into um, a forest of three players and then offload. The problem is there's no offload for him mm. because Bellingham's arriving late and that's fine, but he's arriving too late for a traditional nine to get there. You need to have a guy there, a point man. And who do you have? Rodrigo, who Rodrigo's basically like caught between, oh, I'm a wide forward now, I've got to play central. Everyone's expecting loads of goals. Not my position. I don't crash the box. Don't have the physical intensity to be that presence that actually terrifies people, that actually creates spacing in the box. So Vinicius is, he's playing a game that's still designed for the existence of a nine. And that's not really his fault. And it was funny, and Everton fans are going to hate me for saying this, but I was looking across at Calvert-Lewin Everton thinking, oh, oh, Calvert-Lewin, Calvert-Lewin to Real Madrid. Yeah, At some point. I mean, <sighs> I mean, I'd love to see it. I mean, we were talking about this uh, on the weekend, right? And we were just saying, some, they'll get Mbappe and they'll get Holland, and it'll be that. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll happen. Like, Holland, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive Holland will end up at Real Madrid. And I don't mm. think it'll actually be that far away. Right. The legacy part of his career, I imagine, is going to happen at Real Madrid. It's not going to happen at Manchester City. Mm. He's the only player in the world that can make Mbappe get his skates on and make a move quick. He's the only player that can actually make Mbappe. And also the fact that Mbappe turned down that salary, um, the huge salary offer from Saudi Arabia to me is an indication that like he knows what time it is. I think they'll get a loan move for someone in January. Mm. It's really a team under construction rail, isn't it? It's strange because they're winning, but they've clearly created, they've earmarked those positions up front for those two players. And it's so funny in terms of their forward thinking. This is the thing. We look at Real this year and they're in the top of the league. So it's the hardly, they're hardly struck. This is a transitional year for them. Think mm. of their long-term strategy. It's basically locked down that midfield of Chirmeni, Camavinga. At one point, all those players are going to be starters. Valverde as well. They're just locking down the future of their club in a very strategic and patient way. To the point where part of it is like, actually, no, we're not going to go in for it. We'd rather go with what we have and struggle over the line then go for a forward or forwards who are 70% of the required quantity and then have to move them on again. You know, and, and of course, like 18 months from now, everything they're doing is going to look really shrewd because Real Madrid, they're like the Catholic Church, man. They don't think in, they don't think in like, they don't link in six month cycles. They think in like generational cycles. If, if we've learned anything from them, this is how they plan. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean by, I think that everyone there yes. is a little bit too smart to, figure, to, to know that or to take anything to... To get too carried away by this result. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah. they're, they're, they're not going to get carried away by it. But um, mm. from a Barca perspective, it's a bit of a weird one because I think they kind of de- they definitely deserved at least a point. Right. You could chalk it up to be like, it hasn't felt like they've played with a full strength side this season yet still. Mm. Right. Uh, Pedri missing still. Uh, Frankie de Jong missed, missed this game. Huge absences. There's a weird thing going on with Barcelona where you're kind of struggling to figure out what the plan is still, but there are moments of genuine encouragement. 
Lewandowski not starting as well. We have to mention that. Yeah, because he's just coming back. Right. Right. So, so all of that. Yeah. So like in terms of like not to start with a full team, I don't know. I feel like I can see, I can see the vision. Like the midfield three, I think the starting midfield three of Pedri, Gavi, and Frankie De Jong, and now that Gavi can anchor that well, I mean that's a that's a dream option for Xavi. Mm. Like knowing that about Gavi now, knowing that Frankie can be interchangeable with Gavi, you can release him at points. That's a huge option. Um, Fermin Lopez, brilliant. You've got Cancelo in the mix. You can either be high up or when they're full strength, you can have a front three. I mean, this is the beauty. You've got Lewandowski and two others mm. in the front three. Mm. So I think that they've got this really nice kind of core at Barcelona when you can just swap players in and out. And you know, look, look at what Madrid are doing in terms of like using Modric superbly for 20 minutes. Modric, 20 minutes of Modric at the end of a game mm. is... <laughs> as good a midfield as anyone in the world, right, still. Yeah. And I think Barcelona have the same trajectory, have a core, a core of players where you know they're going to deliver. And actually, I think we're going to add Ferran, we can add Ferran Torres to that core. Mm. I love that for him. I love that he's basically moved to a point where Joao Felix, who could have given us a bit more in this game, I think, very good in some yeah. ways, but yeah. could have given us more. But you've got a situation now where Ferran Torres is part of the core. I think it's basically the front three, him, Lewandowski and one other which is a great, it's a great option for, for Barca. Yeah, I mean, the first choice front three, I think, for Barca is probably Ferran Torres, Lewandowski, Jao Felix. At, at this point, yes, yes. At this I think point, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of everything with the game, they had, they had a lot of the ball, they had some really good chances, they just couldn't finish properly. And I Can't think sell if, if he'd scored that one. I mm, mean, gorgeous, gorgeous. If they'd had the shooting football. boots on, I think they would, have, they would have pulled away from Real Madrid and I think it would have been a bit too much for them. So, they did this a few years ago when it started brilliantly and then Benzema got the winner, Barcelona. But I remember watching, it was a similar Classico, again, a transitional one, lots of transitional league at the moment, when Barcelona started brilliantly and lost. But despite that, they were the better team. And I remember thinking, they can actually take more positives in terms of how their team will play. Like you can, from watching Barcelona in that game and in this one, you can, I, I can see a plan, right? I can see a style, a definable identifiable style of football so although they've lost there are some positives to be taken from it I think yeah see I'm, I'm not quite there yet I, I can see that there's a there's a plan starting to form mm. I'm not entirely sure still that Javi has a concrete idea about what this Barcelona needs to look like yet I don't think um, I think that's quite surprising I think it's surprising that it's a little bit more it's not as defined yet but I also think a lot of that's down to the, down to the player turnover it's availability it's availability like, yeah who scored the winner in the Classico at home last uh, for Barca last season Franck Kessier gone I mean, do you know what I mean wild. like just the turnover of players there have been at that club over the last couple of years has, has I think has been has made it very very difficult for them to implement uh, such a playing style mm, yeah but anyway elsewhere in La Liga Wins for Betis, wins for Atleti, Real Sociedad drew at Rio Vallecano, which actually isn't a dreadful result. Rio are on a bit of a, a run this season. Especially after the big win in Benfica. Yeah. Uh, Girona beat in Salt Vigo on Friday night. So Real Madrid is top of the table on goal difference. Girona second, level on points. Atleti move into third. Barca fourth. Real Sociedad five points behind Barca in fifth. Very quickly before we go to the Premier League. A couple of shouts for some stuff elsewhere. Mm. PSV beat Ajax 5-2 despite being behind twice. Ajax led twice. 
and uh, ended up losing the game 5-2 Ajax. Uh, just a horrible season for Ajax. Yeah, not um, a good, uh, not a good um, they week, are, weekend for Ajax enthusiasts. They are bottom of the Eredivisie and it's about to go into November. Admittedly, they've got a couple of games in hand on the team above, still, on, on Utrecht the optics, above them. The optics. That is not good. PSG got a late win against Brest. Kylian Mbappe had his penalty saved and then mm. followed up with a rebound in stoppage time at the end of the game. Had a lot of words for the spectators after that. For the home yeah, fans. That was Mbappe's second of the game. It came after Zaya Emery's unbelievable opener. Beautiful PSG. strike. First goal of the season? Yes. Someone who is stepping up at such a young age. Loving it. Um, loving it. And just very quickly, the uh, Lyon Marseille game, sorry, the Marseille Lyon game was postponed bleak. because that's bleak. The Lyon bus was attacked, uh, leaving manager Fabio Grosso with a, a really horrible facial injury that needed bandages. I mean, a facial injury on a way to a football match that your coach is just, mm. it's, we have mentioned this for a while, like some of the. Yeah, not, not great. Mm. Not great. Um, very, very quickly, let's do the Bundesliga. Yes, yes, we have to. Actually, can we shout out St. Pauli because they're top of the, the top of the fighter still. <laughs> the real but, uh, Bundesliga, Edin Terzic after Eintracht 3, Dortmund 3 said that the game was way too wild in both directions. Sounds like a Wednesday night out in Berlin anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> There he is. <laughs> um, he also said that he could have subbed the entire team in the first half, which uh, I kind of love and like a slightly angry Ed in. Mm. Considering Dortmund were 2-0 down, I think a point away at Eintracht ended up being a good result. The performance wasn't great though. Again, following a Champions League, a big Champions League result. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're gonna um, throw them, let's throw them a bone at least. Can we talk about the weirdest game of the weekend very quickly though? That's Bayern, way, mm, well, that's a strong shout. Actually. No, it was genuinely weird. Bayern 8, Darmstadt 0. Kimmich sent off in the third minute. He's um, been on a journey recently. He's been on a journey. Glashula yeah. sent off in the 21st minute. Maglica sent off in the 41st minute. The, <laughs> the game was 0-0 after 50 minutes. So sending off before the thrashing. No, but like, like the game, they, they, like, so Darmstadt were down to nine men, Bayern were down to t- 10 men, and the first goal in an 8-0 win didn't come until the 51st minute. It was just weird. And then all of a sudden the goals just happened, but then Kane scored the one from the halfway line, which is so, so good, by the way. You talk about catfish, a catfish result. I mean, that is absolutely just a weird, catfish result. Just, just a weird, weird game. Weird. And oh, to be honest, I think the red cards were all just a bit like, oh. This is, come on, really? Did David Beckham break football though? Because he normalised that goal. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, some will say, oh, it's Darmstadt. But that goal, as big as it was, it should be bigger news. Like, it, it's so, it was such I a I don't brilliant... know. Did you, did you see the angle behind Kane though? Right, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. even you if and you I would have had a pop from that. He left a lot of space. Honestly, of like, space. like, Shruin was so far off his line. I was a bit like... He, he was so far out of goal. He was actually in fucking Augsburg. That's, where, that's how far he was. He was like he was commuted miles town. away. He's, he, he got notification on his phone being like, Vilkoman in Großbritannia. <laughs> like, his parents thought he'd come home for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why are you back so early? I want, no, I'm still in goal at Bayern. Well, you better get back to your line. <laughs> they're, looking, they're looking at the TV and Kay's just picked the ball up on the halfway line. He's like, oh no. Some way doing here. <laughs> anyway. 
It's a buy and go second because mm. Stuttgart lost at home to Hoffenheim, which was a wild game as well. They lost 3 2. Um, that's only their second defeat of the season for Stuttgart. Leverkusen won again. They beat Freiburg 2 1, and they're still top of the Bundesliga by two points. You watched this, uh, didn't you? You watch this one. You Florian Wirtz. What a goal. If you haven't seen this goal, go and watch it. Florian Wirtz. Oh, with his dancing feet. This is the season that he's really announced himself to Europe, I think. I know he's mm. been brilliant in patches in previous, well, last season, but this is the year that he's really gone clear. The change of direction on this man is something else. Mm. Dare I say, it's, it's Koratskalia levels. Ha ha ha! It's high praise indeed. Um, yeah, but he was he was spectacular. I think the reason Florian Verts has, has kind of stepped up this season is because he's got the number 10 shirt. You know what? Yeah, actually, why not? Like some players respond to the number. Yeah, yeah. Saka, like Saka elevated when he got the seven. Mm. It's different. It hits different. Bellingham took the five and just went like... There needs to be an advert like at the end of the season like Zidane, like patiently queuing to ask for his shirt back. <laughs> well, we didn't even mention it, but he's already broken Zidane's best ever goal to score in tally in a Real Madrid shirt for a season. He's already done it. Like he equaled it on Saturday and then he broke it. Anyway, back to Leverkusen. They beat Freiburg 2-1. Um, Wirtz's first goal was brilliant. Jonas Hoffman got the second off the post and off the back of Atabolu's head. That's a gorgeous strike from Hoffman. You're going to mention Union quick. Yes, I'm um, going down 2-0 to Verda. And that's just the thing now where I feel... It's too early to say this in the season, but I just think Bundesliga survival, just stay up, just stay up and regroup, stay up mid-table, regroup, because mm-hmm. when you see, you know, when a team starts getting like, conceding unfortunate goals mm-hmm. and getting unfortunate reds and failing to integrate players, you just think, okay, let's treat it as a transitional season. And it can still be a, it can still be a fairy tale at Union, so long as people adjust expectations. Mm-hmm. And as long, as long as doom doesn't set in, there were some positive signs at nil-nil of how Union could play. Actually, they started this game in quite enterprising fashion. I just think, keep playing your football and results come your way. All you have to do is finish above the bottom three and go from there. So I just think mm. it's, I think it's just a real question of expectation adjustment for Union. This year. Quick shout for Serie Juve move up to second after beating Hellas Verona 1-0 on Saturday because Milan drew away at Napoli. Good game though. 2 all. Yes, very good. Two for Giroud. Giroud's just going to... Oh my God, man. He's in his bag. He's deep in his bag. Uh, Inter beating Roma 1-0 thanks to a Marcus Turam goal 10 minutes from time. A uh, lot of whistles in this game. Yes. Inter Ultras gave out what? Like 30,000 whistles or something, was it? It's a lot Quince. of whistles. A great win. Um, Secured by uh, Turam, by Marcus, with his dad watching in the crowd. Lilian watching in the crowd. Very excited. Proud it's dad. just nice, yeah, isn't it? it? I love watching those old dudes just in the crowd, just like enjoying, enjoying the youth, enjoying the retirement. I'm so happy for them. You know, they gave us so much. It must be nice. It must be nice for Lillian to be there and like welcomed at San Siro. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? like, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Italian football's actually really good with its exes, funnily enough. They really honour their former players. Like, once you're a former player who was a great Italian football, you wander around, you're kind of like royalty the rest of your life. Shall we wrap this bit and go to the Premier League? Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, man. It was, uh, oof. Oof. Can I just say something? Say it. I don't, I don't know ball. I don't know ball. Because really? I really had a feeling that Man United were going to kind of get a really stuffy win here. <laughs> I don't know why. You know who does know ball? Ian knows ball. Because he called the entire thing the tactical setup of Man City using mm. Grealish for control instead of Doku on the wing. Because Pep was like the only thing the only way they could induce chaos United is by attacking that flank. That's where they've had joy. That's where West Ham had joy against the City. Doku mm. spacing behind him. And Ian quite rightly said, you put Grealish there, it locks it down. It's less exciting, but you allow the playmaking from deep. And I thought, and this is my hot take, until, until Haaland got his second goal. And even then, Grealish was still edging him as man of the match in my opinion, along with Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva was spectacular. I think that eventually Horden was man in the match because he set up the third goal and scored two in the 3-0 victory. Um, and not having many touches, but extreme decisive, but I thought that Grealish and Bernardo Silva were outstanding in this game. Um, it was 3-0 to City. At one point, it could have been five. And just the gap. The ability, to, the ability of Man City at their best just to put two goals in short, in, in short succession between them and their opponents is, is almost unparalleled. And I know they've got the sort of financial depth and the charges. I know all of that. But in terms of their ability just to switch gear, on, you know, on other big clubs, like you know, United, mm-hmm. they're not paupers. Their ability to switch gear on United in this game was something else. And I, I thought United didn't have the worst start. There's a lot of talk now, maybe sort of slight revisionism. I thought United actually started out fairly well. They really did. And I, really was, did. I, was, I was baffled they changed as much as they did so quickly because I was like, actually, a bit more of this and it's going to keep working. This reminds me of 2017 Pacers versus Cavs, right? Take and us back. If the Pacers don't get a double-digit lead in the first quarter... Oh, that's interesting. Because LeBron's just going to go hero ball and we're out of here. Right. Yes. That was kind of what it felt like in the, that opening five to 10 minutes from Manchester United. It was like, oh, they've actually started okay. The City have, haven't started mega, mega well. United need to score. They absolutely need to score. Otherwise, they're done. Yes. Yes. And Had they didn't score. And it was as many Premier League defeats now at Old Trafford for Manchester United since Sir Alex Ferguson left than in mm. his entire tenure. Which is... Right. And the fact that we still have in to talk half about as many Sir Alex games, Ferguson, the fact we still talk about Sir Alex no, Ferguson. No, but like, we, we not, d- I mean, we don't because there was, I, but we, I think it just shows you the 
the, the pure decline. And I know that football is in a completely different ecosystem. And I don't think you have to talk about every Manchester United defeat with this big, 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 big No, I don't. But my point, my point being, we don't have, we haven't had an era since Ferguson. If you think about it, like, no, you know, yeah. Luis Enrique, no. there was an era post Guardiola. Yeah. So people don't, when you talk On about travel, Barca now, yeah. people don't really talk about, they talk about the Pep years at Barca, but Pep's Barca is its own pocket universe. But people aren't like, oh my God, Pop's Barca. You know, to me, Pep's Barca, there's, there's been stuff since then. There hasn't really been an era, an identifiable, come in, rip up the floorboards. Closest thing was Mourinho's. Honestly. It was. Or two months of Van Hal. I think Van Hal until March in terms of playing style, Van Hal at Anfield, Van Hal and some of the, the derby. But this, you're right, there's been no era. And this now, you know, United looked further from, they looked further from City than they have in, in, in years. Just in terms of the second goal actually was fascinating because the second goal was unbelievable. Yeah, really Just the, the way they just played those bounce passes and they just took United players out of the game, like not even at the races, just systematically dismantling this team from top to bottom and look at that going. And you look, 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 at, a comp, look, at, look at the Arsenal win over City and look at the spaces, look at the spaces between players and how that game was just compressed everywhere. And people were fighting for space everywhere. It looked disjointed because people were just matching up toe to toe and cancelling each other out. And actually quite an exciting way for Arsenal. People, Arsenal fans were like, a lot of them were like, oh, boring game. And I'm like, no, no, this is how much fine you've closed the margins. Yeah, this is how you've me. closed the margins. Yeah. This game can't be thrilling because there's no room to thrill. That is what you've done. You've made that game almost watertight, airtight, whatever. Like, can't and afford I think, to thrill. No, bingo. And then you look at the game now, and that in you know, Arsenal in a couple of, you know, couple of seasons with Arteta, you look at United and what they did in this game and the players that, I mean, you saw the whistles and the boot, the jeers when Rasmus Hoyland, who is a wonderful player, Rasmus Hoyland's substitution. And you saw that and United fans immediately going, what the hell is this about? Because if there is anything, if, if it can be said of a United DNA, if there can be said to be such a thing, it's that players who have the nose for huge moments in games and Hoyland clearly does we've seen that in the Champions League players who have that nose should never go off unless they're severely injured they're carrying a slight strain I mean, especially at the moment yeah with, with United because the kind of thing that Hoyland gives you is he's very quick very physical very technical if the ball breaks in the box he's got the ability to muscle someone out the way and just half volley it into the top corner out of nothing right he's not got a Premier League goal yet but Man United is struggling for goals up front we know this but you saw what he, you've seen what he can do in the Premier, in the Champions League against Galatasaray. Right. So I know he gave the penalty away and I think it was, the penalty is a weird one because I think like, <sighs> harsh but not unfair. You rewatch it and then you're like, oh, okay. No, it's one of those yeah. ones that in, in, the, in the age prior to VAR. And you're like, oh, that's annoying carries, and you kind of forget yeah, about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it was probably a penalty. I mean, they do happen quite a lot. I think if the ball goes miles out of play, it doesn't get given. Yeah. I mean, Holland put it away. There was some weird, some, some weird kind of chanting going on. Yes, people were chanting, referring to Holland. Holland, how's your dad? And then yeah, Roy King's father, Kino. Yeah, they put him out for a bit. And yeah, but he said he said later, I used that as motivation. Wow. So yeah, maybe uh, think about this chance. Yeah, maybe think about this chance next time. Maybe uh, we think otherwise. From that point on, I mean, even before the penalty, City just City just started to. Dude, yeah. started to ramp it up, you know what I mean? It was like, their, their, their sense of control, and I think this is the thing that's so alarming for Manchester United, is that 
I know they've got injury. I think there, there is a caveat. The caveat is they've got injury issues and I don't think they've managed to start a full strength side this season yet. And by full strength, I mean fully fit Casemiro, fully fit Martinez, fully fit Varane, Hoyland, Luke Shaw, Wan-Bissaka, all of these players out. You mentioned the Arsenal game and I think that Manchester City aren't the barometer for Manchester United. Arsenal are. Right. And that's not me saying that as an Arsenal fan being like, hey, look at us. I think like, no, you almost have to put, even for Manchester United, and I know that uh, Swiss Ramble did a thing of their accounts this morning that I haven't read through yet, by the way, but apparently they had their biggest ever, I think biggest ever revenue for an English club. Unbelievable. We haven't yet been critical of Eric Ten Hag. Um, I don't think United are that far away from a team that plays compelling football that challenges for for honours. I actually believe that they've got a collection of players who can be coached and galvanised into superior performances. And actually I'm, people, you know, I, I'm not convinced actually that Eric Ten Hag is going to turn this around. I'm just not, I'm just not. Like the fluidity of the move, like the thing about United, I mean, let's get away from United identity for a moment. Let's look at a club that has significant resources. A club that has significant resources is always going to encounter teams that will sit deep against it. And a club with that amount of resources is always going to have a fan base that demands it to play on the front foot. You can only get away with that style if you're Atleti. You're the only, it's the only club in the world, the only huge club in the world. And even not even Inter anymore, Inter before, but now Inter in a different place. Inter and Atleti, the only two clubs in the world, huge clubs that get away with being, yes, we're loaded, but we're going to scrap our way to the top. And the way that Ten Hag is setting up, without that sense of fantasy woven through the team, and the way he's trying to take that direction is, is just not sustainable because the results won't be satisfying enough to justify mm. the, the reactive style that he is taking. They just won't be enough. And I do firmly believe, actually, I don't think United are that far away. If I look at the coaching jobs that other managers have done at clubs and they've come in, and transformed them. If I look at um, a Deserby job, if I look at Postacoglu, I think that actually the quality of coach in the Premier League is so, so high at this point that it's kind of showing up, people like Ten Hag, unfortunately. I think it is actually, unfortunately, I know it sounds really harsh to say that, but look, we've said this, like every single week in the Premier League now is a coaching exam, right? Mm. It's a coaching exam and you've got like people absolutely bawling out, like Brighton slip below their level, Marco Silva, does a good job on you. Like anyone that comes in slightly off the boil, you look at Chelsea still reconfiguring things, they get done by Brentford, right? All of that. So like what's happening, unfortunately, is Ten Hag is kind of being, it's kind of being shown up. They beat Manchester City in this fixture last season and we talked about whether that was going to be like a kind of blueprint, but they did ride their look a little bit in that game as well. They're in a position where they're starting in 2023, Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans at centre-back. Mm. Yeah, Johnny Evans is a very experienced defender, mm. and when you look at the reaction time compared to Holland, Holland's positioning was next level, by the way, for that. But still, but do you yeah. know what? It didn't even need to be though, Musa. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah, like Johnny Evans is is a good defender. Yeah, he's yeah. in the, very much in the kind of what do they say, the autumn of their career. Yeah, yeah. He switches off to such a degree that it's hard to kind of think like, okay, why is that happening? And there's only, I think, I think things like that, I know it sounds like I'm kind of like trying to nitpick and go in on someone. I'm not going in on Johnny Evans. I think that what, it's just what you're seeing with Manchester City, uh, Manchester United in general is like, everything's just a bit off. 
like everything. There is an overall vibe around Manchester United from the way they play to some of the stuff that we hear from behind the scenes to how they handle certain situations that we've gone into this season to how I genuinely cannot remember when a player last signed for them and improved. Did you see the thing that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were talking about on Sky? And it was, <laughs> Carragher was basically saying, you've got to start asking questions of Ten Hag. And then Gary Neville was coming from the argument of being like, you know, you've got Jim Ratcliffe coming in. So Jim Ratcliffe coming in, taking 25% stake and essentially mm. the whole football department of Manchester United being worried about being cleared out. Mm. And uh, Carl retweeted a tweet from someone saying um, they're both kind of correct, you know? Mm. But it feels like no Manchester United result ever gets fully broken down because there's so much off. Yes, that's right. A win doesn't really mean anything and a defeat doesn't really mean anything anymore. That to me is a really sad thing about Manchester United and not wanting to kind of go all like fucking like, you know, we, we talk about this all the time about like one result doesn't really mean shit. No. But what does it mean anymore? Direction of travel is the key. And, and I can't see a direction of travel. Like you look, you look at what City did, just from a coaching perspective, and you've got Julian Alvarez embracing an unfamiliar role in midfield, basically, and doing a spectacular job sacrificially there and just bossing it. And you've got Grealish, you know, converted into a sort of more conservative winger. I mean, they won the Champions League with inverted wingers who basically like control, well, inverted, wingers coming off their wrong foot in field and just dominating play. And you see that and you see a philosophy. You see the centre-backs at City playing with such composure. And you look at United and just think, this hasn't been thought out. The strategy behind all of it, like you're, look, you're not losing games before you step on the field, but you are starting with a substantial disadvantage in terms of your organisation. And there's a thing that uh, Gary Neville said actually about Scott McTominay and people getting on his back about chasing and this and that and running about and looking stressed. And Gary Neville said, that's not a lack of effort. That's the weight of the, that's the pressure of the club. And Roy Keane had a different view. Roy Keane was like, that's the job. And again, as Carl would say, they're both right. Mm. They're both right. Like the pressure on a player like McTominay is too severe because McTominay at United's peak, let's say the treble years, would not have a role where he was having as much expected of him. But he'd and have a role. He would absolutely have a role because players and like him had thing. a role in the trip. They did have yeah. a role and they, they executed it to perfection. They were beloved for it. If you look at someone like a Jesper Blomqvist, very, very good player who was not relied on as a primary option and who always delivered when asked of, that would be now a McTominay, Jesper Blomqvist type player and would be absolutely beloved without, without exception. Blomqvist is a superb player. And the problem now at United is you've got very good players who are overexposed because of the pressure and the expectations, which rightly exist because of the size of United as a club. And I do think at this point it is about a change in not necessarily ownership, but in control at this point. Mm. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that and whether Ten Hag survives that change in control is an open question. But there also shouldn't be the thing at United where it's that fear of, oh my God, if we keep changing managers, well, actually, no, that's the wrong, that's the wrong mentality. That's the wrong outlook. There's never, there have never been so many outstanding coaches honing their craft at the top level across Europe. United should not be afraid to embrace change. Whether that's at a playing level, it's playing staff or coaching staff, they shouldn't be afraid of either change. Yeah. Man United have lost derbies by bigger margins than this. But I think that it was just, oh, actually, yeah, what is the plan here? 
Mm, Is there right. a plan? Right. It's almost like every single player in that Manchester United squad is someone who would shine in a different system. And that's a bit like, okay. There it is. You know, it's so funny when, when United make a signing, there isn't that kind of, yeah, that's a United player. Like when City sign a centre-back, you're like, oh yeah, that's a City centre-back. When Man City sign a centre-back, you're like, Gradiol or Akanji, whatever, you're like, yeah, I get it. You just, it's not even a question. Arsenal buy a player. That's because these, these clubs have identity. When Spurs bought Madison, you just got it. Like, because it's so clear. It was so strange. Even before Madison kicked a ball at Spurs, you knew it would kind of work. Or Timber, whatever. You could sense, like, Gradiol going to City. You're like, yeah, that's going to work. Like, you could feel it. United, you know, United have a thing at the moment where you're like, you're anxious of, oh, that player's coming, is it going to happen? And that's, that's wrong. That's, that, that hesitation is so revealing. It's such a small thing, but it's absolutely, it's the biggest problem at the club, I think. Mm. The sense of, will there be a good fit? Like when Sancho went there, like I was concerned about the fit, not because Hated he wasn't it. a brilliant player, but I just, I didn't see the plan. And turns out there was no plan. We were like, oh, there must be a plan. There wasn't a plan. Donny van der Beek, oh, I like that. If there's a plan, there was no plan. There's still no plan. There'll never be a plan for van der Beek. And now you've got a very good player who's, who will never return to the level they were at Ajax. That is a player that bossed the knockout stages of the Champions League and who is now a laughingstock. And that is, that's absolutely a direction of duty. And there'll be talk about, couldn't handle the bright lights. And we do this a lot as football fans. We're like, oh, I couldn't handle the club. It's a very defensive way to kind of say, because we always blame oh, the club man. last of all. We blame the club. No, we always blame the club last of all, Ryan. We always blame the club as fans. We always blame the club last of all. But there needs to be a conversation about what if the club doesn't know what it's doing? And this player came in and they were spectacular and they were young and they needed development and they, they needed the right handling. You, you look at like, for example, look at the San Antonio Spurs. They brought that brilliant player from France, Victor Wembanyama. And they're easing him in and they know he's going to get, you know, a bloody nose now and again because he's the big player and people go after him. But there's develop the player development is spectacular. The player development at United from a former Ajax coach, from a former Ajax coach is, man, it's disappointing. I think we should apologise to City fans because they've won the Derby 3-0. But I think that if, if anything, I think they've normalised that gap so much and we... The job, the job Pep is doing, we've said this, Pep will never get full credit because of the resources at his disposal. But can I just say, on a, for City fans, can I just, in terms of just the football, can I just give some, uh, just some things that I looked at that I thought were just spectacular. As we talked about Grealish, I thought Grealish was so good. I thought he was absolutely amazing. I think, and Grealish's selection confirmed me that Pep doesn't actually really like derbies that much. I think he's just like, get this fuss out of the way. It's three points. Take all the drama out of it because if he loved derbies, he would indulge their chaos, but he doesn't. You had Grealish locking down one side, Bernardo Silva, who was just, look, I've said this a thousand times. I'm not saying that he's underrated, but I'm saying that it is still bizarre to me that his signature was so little contested when he was signed by City. That guy has been world-class in four, maybe five positions for them. He is absolutely out of this world and the ability he has, the way that he locks down his flank and allows you to take these passing angles and just takes the heat out of the game and controls tempo, raises tempo. Grealish Bernardo Silva, next level. Alvarez playing sort of kind of through the middle, really. 
will go a little bit unsung, but he was, he was wonderful. Kyle Walker at any point just snuffing out any problems there. Gradiol, Stones stepping forward. I mean, the tackle that he made on Hoyland, the touch that he got in that Hoyland had to take around the keeper because mm. Stones got anticipated when Hoyland's quick and Stones still had a good turn of pace on him to get that way. Stones, we know, is spectacular. And of course, Erling Haaland, a player who, you talk about the ultimate minimalist, someone that can have 10 touches and score three times. And who hasn't actually had, weirdly enough, the most dominant start to the season, but still has 11 goals in the Premier League. <laughs> still, you know, just, just, as, and, and just as, in terms of gravitational force. And just, you know, all of it, all of it really. So just in terms of the football itself. And also shout out to Edison, because I know that McTominay hit that close to him on the, on the stroke of half time, but it was still a very good save. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about the um, the Tushtagen one before. Tushtagen one, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's a strong, a strong, a strong wrist. Like I said, the City's second goal. And just to give you know, for City fans, just think, not enough credit here. The second goal was in context as perfect demonstration of footballing dominance, as you'll see from an elite club. And the great thing about the third as well was, did you notice that Holland goes? He kind of gets out of the way and points to Foden, almost go like, go and do your celebration. Love that. Well, the Hall and Foden combination is yeah. unreal. It was so good. It was so good. It was all, and there's a, that's such a, he's such a funny personality, Holland. Yeah. In a football yeah. way. These moments where he just goes really alpha and then he's mm. just pure like, oh it's man, you go do you, yeah. go do you, man. Like, go do you. Like, like really alpha, but if he went to Madrid, it would be Bellingham's dressing room. It wouldn't be like, here's the new king. It'd be like, oh, it's Jude's dressing room. It wouldn't be. But he'd be fine with that. No, absolutely. This is the thing. He'd you know be I mean? absolutely, yeah. yeah, of course, of course. And there's also um, that bit where like, when, when you see stuff like that Foden connection, you're like, that's the bit when you remember that his dad played for Man City. That's where the kind of like inner Man City fan comes out because the dynamic those two have, and obviously I'm not a City fan, but I wonder if, if that's something that City fans particularly treasure given, because that's real heritage, isn't it? Like, you know, mm. Foden, like City fan, like just homegrown kid. And then Holland almost being like home from home, really. Like, you know, in terms of, yeah, you know, just, yeah, yeah. yeah home from home. Yeah. So yeah, Manchester City stay third because the top five all won in the Premier League this weekend. Spurs. Four wins in a row. They weren't great against Palace, but that's the kind of game that it's very, very easy to not be great away at Palace. I love how Ange tells off his players though. It's done with such a measured care. Oh, we weren't the best. Poor second half. He's just great. He's great. He's great. And the thing I love about him as well is that I think he probably knows that Spurs are, I don't know, I mean, Spurs will probably not be there around April, right? But he's, he's constantly asked about this and he's just, and he never, he never checks the, the expectations. He's just like, oh, come on, man. Like, what's, that's what being a fan's about. Like, let's He's just- not allowed. You know what's so clever about it? He's, by not checking it, by not going, oh, we won't be here in April, by not actually doing it, he's not, he's doing that thing where, what Spurs doing at the moment, Spurs Football Club and the players, they're doing that thing. There's this analogy I've mentioned many times. It's that like that movie where the guy walks between the twin towers on the tightrope. Mm, man on wire, yeah. And yeah, man. Spurs are basically man on wire, and what Andrew's doing is basically like encourage them not to look down, mm. because the moment they look down, things become difficult. But he's just keeping them. I mean, look, the work that Madison did for the second goal was <laughs> spectacular. Like, yeah. there's very few defenses throughout the season. I don't care whether it's April or November that are going to stop that. And quite wisely, Andrew's taken the view, there's no logical reason why this has to stop. There's no logical reason why 
clubs beneath us and table can't punch themselves out and we can't just keep sailing on towards something really exciting and unexpected. Mm. Not at all. No. And a big weekend next weekend because they host, they host Chelsea. Arsenal mm. go to Newcastle. That's going to be really, really tricky. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean like, you know, City host Bournemouth. It's going to... Bournemouth just got their first win of the season. Yeah. Shout out to Berlin, got, the, got a glorious winner. Yeah. Um, much needed. Much needed. There's just the, there is just some great football in around the Premier League. Can I just say as well, while we're like shouting out teams uh, here and there. Um, yeah, Aston Villa, we can see you. Stop hiding. You might say, oh, it was only Luton, but that opening goal, the free kick routine, Douglas mm. Louise and McGinn. Great finish. I'm only, I'm only mentioning it because if you look at Louise lining up that free kick, the disguise in it is incredible. He looks if he's about to whip it into the top, mm. like the far corner and the way he lays off. And like, there's just something about the way that Villa are constructing victories. Whenever I pay close attention to that, I'm like, this team is just so well coached and is delivering all the vitamins. The sign, an example of what can happen when everyone is pulling in the right direction. And you know, it's, you know, they're doing well because it's quiet. It's very, very quiet. Quick shout for Liverpool to beat in Forest 3-0. Diego Jota scored and held up Luis Diaz's shirt, who is, had to leave because, because of his parents getting kidnapped in Colombia, which is horrible. Uh, the, the, mother's, latest, the mother's been returned, yeah, but the father was father's still not. Missing. So yeah, um, horrible, horrible situation. Um, but yeah, they won the game 3-0. Klopp um, said it's the worst conditions in which he's ever had to prepare for a match. If you yeah, consider all the games yeah, that Klopp I mean, has yeah. coached, that's yeah. saying, that is saying something. I mean, it's just very, it's just not something you would even expect to deal with right horrifying horrifying more positive news Everton beating West Ham 1-0 at the London Stadium which is an amazing result for Everton they really needed it and now they've mm. kind of pulled up to 15th which is good um, because I was a bit worried that they were going to be in that bottom four again mm. you know 4-5 whatever good start from Calvert-Lewin 4-8 and eight in the league his goal that first touch for his goal was so good man yeah Oh, yeah. So good. Turn. So good. Um, Shouts to Wolves getting a point at home to Newcastle. Uh, I thought Wolves were really good in this game. And um, I think we're a little bit unfortunate as well, especially on the penalty. I thought the penalty was a weird one. It's not, yeah. That's, yeah. That's very much in the, not for me, Clive, Boulder. But at the same time, seeing them given. It's just, it was yeah. just a bit of a weird one. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it was like, it was weird because it was almost like he wasn't even making a tackle. And mm. yeah, just a very, I think it was, very soft. Brentford, third straight w- league win at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Do you see the Richard Jolly stat? In the last seven months, Brentford have won twice as many Premier League games at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea have. Oh my God. Oh my God. One Premier League home oh win God. in seven months is... You look like DiCaprio I... taking a drag on a cigarette then. You're like, <laughs> that was your, the face of it then. <laughs> I'm just a bit like... <sighs> well, it's not, it's not Champions League form, is it? It's not. It also makes that Arsenal result last week look really bad. <laughs> uh, speaking of Arsenal, they beat Sheffield United 5-0. Uh, hat-trick Freddie Nketiah. He could have had mm. four, but he let Fabio Vieira take it. I'm a big fan of this. Uh, Love that. Let's, let's, get, let's get the lads on the score sheet for the season. Tommy Asu got his first as well for Arsenal. Did you see his face when he thought it was going to get disallowed? No. Um, oh. Is that all the Premier League? That is all the Premier League. Oh, well, we talked about Brighton uh, one, Fulham one briefly. Yeah, but, um, yeah very briefly. Good, yeah. good point for Fulham, that. Very good point yeah. indeed. Um, just quickly, breaking news. Ruby, Luis Rubiales has been banned by FIFA for three years from all football activities. Well, that's interesting. 
That's interesting. So I think you, Carl, and Ian are going to talk about that at Wright's house tomorrow. Yes, yes. Uh, other than that, should we get out of here? Let's do it. Is there anything else you want to shout out? No, I'm good. Something with, we've forgotten something. No, listen. We've probably forgotten loads of stuff. It's none of their business. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've had the energy that entire podcast, haven't I? What's wrong with me? Should never eat breakfast this close to a podcast again. Feeding Musa before a podcast is like feeding a gremlin after midnight. <laughs> it's the oily fish. It's the oily fish. It's, <laughs> it's like Omega 3. That's what it is. I thought that was your alter ego. <laughs> oily fish. All right, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are. Yeah. Don't forget to check the Stadio Outro's place on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out this episode on the directory world and creation anything you would like to add me sort of nothing further alright everyone much love have a great week we'll be back with you on Thursday see you then I looked outside my window and walked yeah I'm wondering why so many things often make a change oh yeah people talk like this, get to an even choose. Some may say, Man, I forgot the blues. Oh, yeah. It's the world really created for you and me. But someday I may not be able to see. Oh, yeah. Right now we'll just say Remains the same Oh yeah Yeah Remains the same Listen to me Remains the same Understanding things That most people talk about You will find, oh yeah, that talks about you, oh yeah. Now you bear the feeling of being left out. I tell you gossip is nothing but unwanted mouth to God. It's the world. Someday I may not be able to see what it is. The world is so very hard to explain. But right now we'll just have to say, the things the same.